everyone, and welcome to YAA. If you do not know me, my name is Sarah. I get to be one of the associate pastors here at Calvary Young Adults, and I'm so glad to be with you guys tonight. I have the privilege of kicking off a new series, which you'll see on the screen. It's called Minds, Attention, Hearts, Affection. So we're going to be in the series for the next six weeks, and we're going to continue to make the case through this series for why building healthy habits around our media consumption and relationship with technology is actually a rich and rewarding spiritual discipline. That could be a spiritual discipline to consider our relationship with the different devices and media in our lives. So we'll be covering topics that range from cell phones and technology itself to how to draw lines in the content that we consume, to who we allow to influence us, to digital addiction, and then ultimately, how do we as the people of God be light bringers in these spaces? Throughout these series, we're going to be covering different topics, but we're going to come back to this one question, this one question that I want us to look at with curiosity and sincerity tonight, and it's this. It's how have you seen the connection between attention and affection play out in your own life? How have you seen the connection between attention and affection play out in your own life? Jesus tells us something powerful in the Gospel of Matthew, and this is something that Brian Williams just talked about. We often say it when we talk about giving, but it's this. He makes the proposition that where our treasure goes, our investment and our intention, our heart will follow that. He says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Now, the word here for heart, the Greek word is cardia, cardia. So that might sound familiar, cardio, whole nine yards. But it's actually more figurative in this sense, as you might imagine. And it describes the innermost self, innermost thoughts and feelings of a person. And the term for treasure here means deposit. We often think about this as a financial deposit, but really it's just an investment of resources, so this is not a sermon about finances. We're not tricking you into that tonight. Um, as but seriously, as important as finances are, and they can be, but this is going to be a time to talk about considering our investments, more specifically, our mental and our emotional real estate. Our mental, emotional real estate, meaning the precious makeup of our innermost self. So I'll kind of put the question this way. What or who are you renting space out to in your innermost thoughts and emotions? Who or what are you renting space out to? Is it the Lord and what he says about you and your life? Like when you're really, like when you're lying awake at night or you're making like a snap decision, whose voice is in your head? Is it your friends and family and their opinions of you? Is it the approval of your romantic interests? Is it the lies of the enemy and the shame that he just keeps dragging up from your past you just can't seem to get away from? Is it your loneliness? Is it the drive for financial success or stability? Or is it the fear of the unknown? That last one rings so true for me. In the quiet of my thoughts, it can take up so much of my mental and emotional capital. And it has to make me rethink, how am I getting here? I'm trying to figure this out. Like, what is comprised in my mental and emotional real estate? So I was trying to figure out how to best illustrate this to you. And I'm not going to lie, the first thing that I thought of is something that I'm absolutely terrible at and I know is actually going to divide this room. But I'm going to show it to you anyways, because I think it's an important illustration. Are you ready? 
Okay, it is the game of Monopoly. Can I get the game? Okay. Okay, just like give me like a raise of hands if you're like, I love Monopoly. Okay, yeah, right? All right. See, thank you for being honest. Um, so I cap out at like Monopoly Junior. Like that's where I'm like, I'm done. Like I will play a 45 minute rousing game of Monopoly Junior. I don't know if it's like, I don't like counting money. I've never been a cashier, but this game to me, yeah. I mean, I won't name names, but uh, Brian and Ben Howard, there's some people who like love this game where they will put it out, play for hours. And then they're like, we have to sleep. And then they'll return to the game the next day. So anyways, why do I bring up Monopoly? Why did this come to mind? Well, really, we have to ask ourselves, what is the point of Monopoly? What's the point of Monopoly besides winning? How do you win? Monopoly. It's, how do you win? It's making the wisest investments. You have to make the wisest investments to win this game. You can't just like be throwing your money out and be like, I hope I buy the boardwalk. Like you have to be making wise investments and you have to be asking yourself constantly, what am I buying into? What am I buying into? So if this Monopoly board is the mental, emotional, real estate of your life, what's monopolizing your board? Do you have an aim or vision for the investments on your board? Or are there genuinely things living, quote unquote, rent free on your board that are actually costing you? Aimlessly filling up your board with whatever quick opportunity comes your way, because it's convenient, it's easy, it's just presented to you, right? And that's kind of what we're gonna be talking about tonight. The fact that we, especially as the people of God, cannot be passive about our mental or emotional investments. You see, we live in an age of information overload where these devices, these devices, I forgot to bring my phone on stage, but smartphones. Guys, did you know that 91% of the world's population has a smartphone in their pocket? Like not just like a like flip phone, but a smartphone in their pocket. That's 7.26 billion people in the world. This is not just like first world countries, like this is everyone. Everyone has a tiny computer, well, almost everyone, in their pocket. And as you know, it's not just the phone, right? There's platforms that are literally designed to capture our mind's attention and therefore our heart's affection. And so often aimlessly and too often at too high a price, where we're building these subconscious investments that can lead to sometimes dangerous, but usually just subliminal habit building. And can, can I tell you, like, I'm not removed from this at all. Um, I went home to write the sermon on Tuesday. So it'd been like a couple weeks of preparation. I was like, all right, I work in a cubicle. So I'm going to go to a quiet space in my house. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to go on a prayer walk, eat a healthy breakfast, you know, the usual. And then I'm going to like lock myself in my room because none of my roommates are going to be home. I love them. But I was like, it's all to myself. And I put, I like turn off all the notifications on my computer. And then I put my phone on my bed. I like put it face down and I like, it's silenced, right? I started to count how many times I touched my phone in the course of eight hours. And guys, I touched my phone two dozen times. I touched my phone 24 times. And you might be asking yourself like, okay, Sarah, we know you're so popular and have so many friends and Instagram followers and all of the above. Um, I didn't get one notification that like alerted me to touch my phone. It was purely reflex. <laughs> It was purely reflex and I got to a point where I'm like, I need to leave my house. Like, I don't know, I need to leave my phone at home. 
But really, like, here's what happened. I'm going to be, this is an honest, vulnerable moment with you. So I inevitably, I did check my phone, and I did have a text. And, you know, at least someone loves me. And I, I looked at my phone. And, you know, I'm also, like, in charge of Calvary's Instagram. So I got a message on Instagram. And I, before this, I was deep in a very, what I thought was a very good thought about the character of God. And then I look at my phone, and then suddenly, I am on the Instagram Explore page of Calvary Young Adults. And this is what I'm looking at. Guys, I love baby sheep. And so for some reason, if you went on Calvary Westlake's or Calvary YA's explore page, you will almost exclusively find videos and images of baby sheep. Um, I will not play this video for you because it will distract you. But what I'm telling you is like, I, I went from being deep in a very good thought to this, which in any other circumstance may be fun, may be worth your while. And thankfully in my case, I ended up somewhere harmless, right? Like, but in 2.5, like I blacked out unconscious seconds, I landed here. And again, I'm glad this time it was something that was harmless. But then I returned to writing and I go, dang, what was that last thought? Like, what was that last thought I have? Because here's the thing, I lost it. It was gone. And I was talking to Brian about this. And he said something that I, I'm going I'm to borrow because I thought it was really profound, but he just reminded me, he said, with every yes that we say to something, we're saying no to something else. So in that moment, I said yes to this adorable baby sheep. And I said no to the very good thought that the Lord was forming in me and hopefully bring back into the sermon. But again, you see the thing about mental real estate, as I was doing research, it's actually not the problem that we don't have enough of it. It's not that we don't have enough of it. I, I, did, I did some research and like and geek out a little bit on neuroscience, but I found this, this report and it says this, that scientists have actually measured the amount of information the average person can process in one day. So average intelligence level, seven in the room, I think you guys are above average, but let's say average intelligence level um, can process in a day. Can you guess how much information that is? Maybe just like think to yourselves, okay? Um, they found that you can process 74 gigabytes of information. And if you're staring blankly at me, like, what does that mean? Okay, me too. So what I looked that up, yeah, that's not my forte. Um, 74 gigabytes of information is about the equivalent of 16 movies. So you have the capacity to process about 16 movies every day. So if you, like myself, has sat through the director's cut trilogy of Lord of the Rings, you know how long three movies can be. So 16 movies. And this, of course, includes not just movies, but they are looking about our, like, our consumption of, you know, through TV, computers, cell phones, tablets, billboards, books, if you still read those, gadgets. But here's, here's what's wild. And let me just give you a little bit of perspective. 500 years ago, 500 years ago, a highly educated person, how much information do you think they absorbed in their lifetime? 74 gigabytes of information in their lifetime. Leonardo da Vinci in his lifetime, for as established as he was as an artist and a scholar and like a forefather of a lot of what we study today in art and in science, he absorbs 74 gigabytes of information in his lifetime. So you're not alone if today you feel overwhelmed or if your attention span is slowly turning to that of a goldfish. Because the thing is, our brains are capable of processing this much information, but the fatigue and the competition for quick memory recall 
That's real. That's real. And there's actually a great need for healthy, selective attention. If we wish to reap a worthwhile return on investment in any one area of our lives. I love what the specialist on habit formation, FM Alexander says, he says that people do not decide their future. They decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. Our actions are always an outflow of our strongest thoughts. And you see, when I was in seminary, um, we actually took a class on this. It was like the intersection of faith and technology. And my professor had us watch a documentary you might be familiar with. It's called The Social Dilemma. And so in this documentary, they interviewed different members of the early development teams on Twitter and Facebook, on Instagram. So it's the people that invented the like button and the infinite scroll. Thanks, guys. They really thought they were doing something good, I promise. But in this documentary, they shared something I'll never forget and something we talked extensively about in this class. It said that we so often think of ourselves as the consumers. We're the audience, right? We go to the movies, we absorb the media, we turn on the Netflix. And to a degree, that's true. Like, we do have agency, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We do have control. But the most eye-opening thing that I learned was that these companies succeed by capturing as much of our attention as they can, then selling it to the highest bidders. There's a saying in the industry, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. We are the product. We are the product being bought to, the, to advertisers, to the highest bidders. Our, but really we, meaning our attention, our attention is the product, it's this precious commodity. And I would actually take it a step further tonight and say this, and we'll see the same thing in the scriptures. It's that you are the product of what you place inside of you. We are the product of what we place inside of us. Wherever we allow our agency to take us, what we look at, what we listen to, what we put into our bodies, what we allow to captivate our heart, what we put our time into. And then conversely, who we look at, who we listen to, who we give our bodies to, who we allow to captivate our hearts, and who we put our time into. Jesus says this in Matthew 12, 34. AJ said it earlier in um, our video, but he, he says this to his disciples. He says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words, our actions, our habits are an outflow of our input. They're an outflow of our input. And here's the double-edged sword. Like, here's the craziest part about this, is that our attention and our affection was actually designed to be captured. It was literally made to be captured. There's no being neutral in this. You can't just, like, live your life and be like, well, I'm just going to float around and just block everything out. It's like, no, there's something inside of us that is God-given and God-made to be captured. And we need to start being preemptive about this. God knew this. But guess what the news is? Well, guess what the good news is? He offers us a deposit, something to treasure, something to invest in that only leads to increase in life and in peace. And it's himself. It's himself and it's his ways. And tonight I'm gonna to attempt to answer the question, how do we invest our intention and our affection in God? How do we actually do that? 
And we're going to start by looking at one of the most famous prayers in the history of the people of God. It's called the Shema. Can you say that with me? The Shema. All right. We'll work on it. Um, So if you have a Bible, you can join me by turning to Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. And I'll actually, I'll give you a few beats to get there, but I would love to say this verse together. We're going to put it on the screen. It's going to be in the NIV, if you're curious. So when you're ready, just give me a look up, maybe a smile, a nod, a finger gun if you're feeling zesty. Hey, thank you, Cooper. Oh, thanks. Cooper's ready. Awesome. Okay, great. So if you would say this with me, we'll start in verse four. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Thank you, guys. Well done. Well done. Great. Great. Yes, give it up for yourselves. Yay. Okay. So this word Shema, this word Shema is actually the first word in this prayer, and it means to hear intelligently. I like that, to hear intelligently, not just to listen passively, but to hear intelligently, meaning direct your attention to the following. Hear, Israel, what I'm about to say. And this prayer was actually so important to the people of God that they said it three times a day. And in many Jewish traditions still say it three times a day when they wake up in the morning, in the evening, and before bed. So why is this prayer so important? What were they actually trying to remember? So let's get into some context here. Context is always very key when we're looking at scripture. So this is Moses actually preaching. He's preaching a sermon to the Israelites in the desert. And these words he's talking about are actually the 10 commandments he was just giving. So when he says, these words will be on your heart, he just received the 10 commandments from the Lord. And he's telling this right afterwards to the people of Israel as they are in the desert, as they are in the wilderness. And these 10 commandments are arguably the 10 most important things that God had to say to his people as they sought freedom and a new future outside of enslavement in Egypt. So if you're not familiar, I'm going to just put them up on the screen real quick. These are the Ten Commandments. Lovely. Okay, well, here's the first six. <laughs> there is more. So take your time, and Diane, you can, you can scoot on. Also, Diane runs our slides, if you're wondering who Diane is. She's a queen, and she makes everything run very smoothly. So you go say good- hi to her and goodbye um, at the end of this. Um, these are the Ten Commandments. So, again, why are these important? Because the people of God, though they were out of slavery, now they're in the wilderness and they're still waiting for the promise. They're still waiting for the promised land. And God knew there would be distractions. God knew there would be distractions and temptations as they make their way from enslavement to the promise. Later on, right after he gives the Shema, Moses says this to his people. He tells them in verse 14, you must not go after other gods especially those of the surrounding people. Why? For the Lord your God, who is present among you, that's good news, 
present among you. He is a jealous God, and his anger will erupt against you and remove you from the land. (sighs) Yeah, (sighs) intense, right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Moses is conveying not just the decrees of the Lord, but God's heart posture for his people. And that is vital. It's not just about doing what God says, right? Like a dictator can give a decree. But understanding God's heart posture towards his people is invaluable. He is jealous for the intention and affection of his people. He is jealous for your attention and affection as his people. And he's not jealous as we are jealous. We're petty. We get really petty in our jealousy and our thoughts, and we get sinful and deceitful. But God is jealous in a way, literally, there's this word for jealousy is only used towards God because it's in a rich, captivating way where he wants his people, he wants you to know only the good he has for them, only the good that he has for you rather than fall into lesser things of the world. Tonight, I wanna focus more on the how when we're looking at these commandments than the what. How do we keep fixed on the instruction and the ways of God in a world that is constantly vying for our attention? In a world we have a real active, alive enemy coming towards us, trying to distract us from the good that God has and bring us into lesser things. Because here's the deal, the problem of distraction is not new. But the fight for attention, if anything today, we might just have more to combat when aiming to make space for the content that makes life really worth living the content that God wants to offer us so we can see his goodness and his mercy following us all the days of our life. So like the Israelites, the Lord has offered us freedom and bondage from anything less than the goodness of God through the work of his son, Jesus. But to see the benefit of Jesus's death, burial and resurrection on this side of eternity actually does cost us something. And it's our focus, it's our devotion. Like we can live our whole lives covered by the blood of Jesus, saved from our sin for all of eternity, but lose out on the goodness of this side of eternity because we are not aligning our hearts and our minds with Christ. There is a bigger portion for us, church. There's a better portion for us. So before giving the Shema, Moses says this to his people. So, so the theme of tonight, he says this, he says, pay attention, pay attention. Verse three, pay attention, Israel, and be careful to do this so that it may go well with you and that he may increase you greatly in number. Invest your intention. It's your most valuable commodity in the ways of God. Okay, so how do we do this? How do we successfully invest our attention in the things of God? Let's return to the Shema. First part of the Shema. Hear, O Israel. Hear, Shema. To hear intelligently. The connotation of this is what makes this. To hear intelligently. And then it says, often with the implication of attention and obedience. What does that mean? It means when God speaks, I'm going to do what he says. When God speaks, I'm going to do what he says. Even if it doesn't fully make sense, if God is speaking something through his word, or if he's speaking to me, I'm going to wrestle with it. I'm going to discern it. I'm going to take it to wise counsel. But if God says something, I'm going to trust him and I'm going to obey. Because what do we learn from what Moses just spoke? It's he, we learn that the Lord gives commands to his people, quote unquote, so it may go well with them and they may increase. Friends, he has our good in mind. He has our good in mind. 
But don't you know, too, that we listen differently to people that we know love us? Like, you listen differently to people in your life that you know actually love you. Like, if a friend came to you and was like, hey, like, I love you. I've walked with you. Like, they've had your back in the past. And they're like, what you're doing is actually harming you. Like, don't you think you'd listen a little differently than maybe, like, that coworker who's just, like, always on your case or that teacher that's like, I just need you to turn this project in. I don't really care what you do with your life. I don't know if you've had anyone say that to you. I have. And I'm like, I'm going to listen a little differently to you, maybe out of respect, but not out of affection. But he has your good in mind. And really, his ask of us is obedience so we can see that good in our lives and the lives of those around us. So how, we invest our, how do we invest our intention and affection into God? One, we listen with the intention of obedience. We listen to God with the intention of obedience. The verse continues, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. So not only that, not only is saying, okay, listen up, Israel, but he's saying something very significant about himself. He's helping his people understand that he himself is one. And in this case, the translation of this word, word, it means first. It means primary. Just like the first and second command, there shall be no other gods or idols before him. There shall be no other one before me because there is not another before me. And just like the Israelites, we are faced with the opportunity to put all sorts of idols and people and pursuits before God every day. I know I do it. Every single day, get to the end of the day, I'm like, dang it, okay. But what's wild here, what I was considering looking at this verse is that like, if we believe that God is who he says he is, there's literally nothing greater than God. But he still allows us to choose where we put our attention. He still allows us to choose if we put our attention and trust towards him. But here's the thing, if we believe who, like God is who he says he is, to actually know that God is better, that he is stronger, that he is more ultimate than anything on this earth should actually bolster our faith in the instruction of God and his word and his voice. That when he speaks, I say, okay, God, you are sovereign. You are all knowing, you are all present. I think you know what you're talking about. (laughs) So what is the second way we can invest our attention and affection into God? It's by prioritizing his voice. It's saying you are first, God, that you are primary, that in this information overloaded world, we ask ourselves, what voice am I letting influence me? Like in your decision-making and discerning and planning, if we are not going to the word of God and the voice of God and listening to the Holy Spirit first, we're gonna get mixed up really fast, really fast, especially if we are passively allowing voices into our lives, voices from the world, voices from the enemy, and voices of others telling us who we are and where we should put our attention towards. So the Shema continues in this way in verse five. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Now this might sound familiar. If you've read through any of the gospels, This is the answer to the question that one of Jesus' disciples asked him. He says, Rabbi, he says, teacher, what is the greatest command? Like out of all the commands that you've given us. And like back then, especially among the Jewish people, there was a ton of commands, even outside the 10 commandments. He's like, which one is the greatest? Jesus refers back to the Shema. He refers back to Deuteronomy 6, only adding, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, the word here for love is a hob. 
and it means to have affection. So have affection for the Lord your God. Where your attention, Shema, where your attention, what you're listening to goes, your affection will follow. Listen, Israel, move your affection towards this way. But it takes more than a shift of our eyes and our ears, right? Like it takes a commitment to the whole, our whole, our innermost selves to stay in affection. Anyone who's had a long-standing friendship or a marriage can tell you this, right? Like you don't always wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so many warm and fuzzies towards you, best friend or husband or wife, you know? Like it's not just an emotional, emotionally led thing. Affection isn't, love isn't. And even as we spoke in our last series, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, it is not simply enough to half-heartedly turn away from something lesser. Like, all right, well, I guess after the sermon, Sarah said, go delete my social media. Like, that's not gonna do it. That's not gonna do it. We can't just reframe from something. We actually have to replace it with something better. And that takes grit, that takes diligence, that takes perseverance to cling to the good that God has us. And I'm not actually asking you to delete your Instagrams. We'll get to that later. Okay, but geek out with me for a second because I, I am a fresh seminary graduate and I just, I really do love looking at things in their original language. Um, so what does, what was meant actually when the original author said heart and soul and might? Heart and soul and might. What, are, what is the Hebrew definition for these words? All right, so heart. Guys, it is not cardia. It is not the same word that we heard earlier. It is actually levav, levav. And it means the inner person, but it also means the mind. It means your will. And it does mean, again, your affection. So this means what you think about, what you think about, what you study, what you choose to do. What do you do with your choice? Does your choice go towards the things of God? Or does it go towards other things? What does your will automatically move towards? What have you conditioned your will to move towards? And then there's the word for soul. It's the word nefesh, nefesh. And it actually is seen throughout scripture. So if you've read through any of the Psalms, my favorite Psalm is Psalm 42. And it's David talking about how his soul, his nefesh thirsts for God. And the fesh, it's kind of like connotates like the throat, like different parts of the body, the throat. It's thirsting for God, but it actually means life. It means appetite, desire, your physical self. So asking ourselves again, do your physical appetites, what you put into your body, your desires, your cravings, are those shaped around a love for God? Are they shaped around a love for God? And then this last word, guys, is like my favorite Hebrew word ever. So just, just buckle up. It's going to be good. But it's ma'od. It's the word for my ma'od. Say it with me. Ma'od. Okay, great. So ma'od is actually not like a noun at all. It is a word modifier. So when God was creating the world, so if we go back to Genesis and he's looking around and he's saying, oh, that is good. Like the fish of the sea, good. Like the birds of the air, good. Trees, great idea, right? But then he gets to people and he says, this is very good. This is ma'od, good. So in the Hebrew language, if something is like incredible, or there's just like so much like goodness in it, or it's just like, wow, this is overwhelming. They would say, me'od, me'od. Like this is like just very, 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 kind of like a 90s, I don't know, I think of like clueless, <laughs> where you just like say adverbs and you're like, that makes sense. But it means exceedingly much. So basically, me'od here, in other translations, it says strength. 
In some translations, it says wealth. And if you're like, well, Sarah, which one is it? I would say it's both. It's both. It's everything. Me'od is supposed to be this catch-all, this every fiber of your being, every opportunity, every resource or relationship or circumstance in your life. Are you loving God, which is all of your muchness, all of yourself, all of your life? So the third thing from that and how we invest our intention and affection into God is this. So we listen with the intention of obedience, we prioritize the voice of God, and we commit our whole selves to growing in love towards God. Our whole selves. Because the thing is, we, sh- we shape these things, these things, our affection, our will, our whole selves, our appetites, our choices and our habits of what we see, think, and hear. Everything must revolve around a love of God and a desire for the glory of God. Because love and affection, like we talked about and you even heard in our video, love and affection emotionally is not enough. It's not actually a good leader. It's not a good leader of our habits. If we're always like, well, I'm gonna do it if it feels good. Tell me where has that landed you? Me, not consistently good places. Because we've seen this, we have to let our affection follow our action and our attention. It will be, it will follow like an inroad. It will follow so naturally like stream coming down from a mountain. If we're gonna actually build through habit and attention, our affection will follow and it will nourish far more than you can ever think. I'll put it this way. If love is not just a warm and fuzzy feeling, which I think, I think we get that, then it is an action. So loving God is three things if it is love. Love is an action of obedience. Jesus says this, he says this to his followers, if you love me, you will do what I say. If you love me, you will trust and obey me. Second, love is an action of priority. There will be nothing and no one before you, God. I will love you by showing you what the priorities of my inner life are. And then lastly, love is an action of discipline. How I shape my appetites, my will, my whole self, I want to reflect a deep love of God, even if it costs me something, even if it costs me my focus, even if it costs me not being relevant on social media, even if it costs me displacing something that isn't even just evil, but like maybe just not as good as God. Do you know there's just like good things out there that like in the moment comparatively just like aren't worth your time in light of God? So we see how Moses prompts his people to form actions and habits that shape affection. He's like, all right, he gets this. He's like, sometimes we need to do things before we feel them. And we see this in the rest of the Shema. So let's go back to the rest of the Shema. It picks up here. It says, and these words that I command you today. So he's talking again about the 10 commandments. He said, they shall be on your heart. They shall be on your heart. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and you should talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your home and on your gates. Now, some of you might be going, okay, that's nice. That sounds kind of extreme. Like, is this figurative? Um, No, it actually wasn't. And And in some Like Hebrew tradition, it is still alive and well. And I actually want to show you what this would have looked like. I want to show you what this looked like. So this is a Jewish man. 
and he has a frontlet, which if you're like, what is that? It's a headband. Um, and he has a frontlet, and it contains the Ten Commandments. And there's a similar one on his arm. I know, he's, he's making like a TikTok pose. <laughs> just, just wait till you see, yeah. We, I didn't want to address it, but it's there. You should wait, just wait until I show you my next sermon illustration. But he's pointing to this <laughs> because he's actually teaching <laughs> the next generation about the commands of God. And as you see, the woman behind him is pointing to the doorpost because even to this day, if you enter someone who is in their home and they're culturally Jewish, you might see like this little capsule on their door frame and it's usually tilted and it usually contains part of the Shema and then the 10 commandments. So this is something that has been carried thousands of years forward to help the people of God continue to understand that this is a priority. This is a priority. And how is this? So like, what are these gestures actually, what do they mean? What, are, what is Moses actually trying to get at the root in the hearts and minds of the people? Let's talk about this. Okay, so he's saying you should teach. You should teach these commands onto the next generation. What does teaching do? Teaching takes personal application. It takes personal application and passing of wisdom. It's passing wisdom along. It's saying, I have embodied this in my life and it's so important to me that I'm actually gonna go and teach someone else about this. Like if you have been so passionate about something that you're like, I need to go tell people, like this is exactly what Moses is talking about. He's like, you should be passing this along. And then he, he talks about like their words, talking about the ways of God, talking about their affection for the Lord. And notice it says not just when they're sitting in their house, but when they're walking on the way, when they come and return to their home and you're like walking on their way to where? Anywhere, anywhere as they're living their lives, as they're going about their lives, that they're discussing the things of God, that it's actually something that is so ingrained in them that it's an outflow of their regular conversation. And then his hand or his arm, what they put their hands to, what they touch, are those things honoring to God? Are they in line with the commands of God, in line with the heart of God? Then between the eyes, as, as ridiculous as it might look, it actually represents what their eyes see. It's their reminder. Is what I'm looking on glorifying to God? Is what I'm looking on in line with the heart of God? Is it honoring to my neighbor? And then again, not just what your eyes are seeing, but between in your mind is what the, the focus of my mind. Am I focusing on the word of God, the command of God? And they talk about doorposts. So this is your personal family and company. You're coming and going. Is your house a place where people can come to you? And even in the privacy of your own home, does the word of God dwell there? Does it live there? Does it overflow from you and your children and your guests? Are you hospitable? Are you treating people as God would treat them? And then finally, gates. So this would probably be the outermost part of a home or even a city. So this is the coming and going of outsiders and strangers. Moses was calling the people to be mindful of their inputs in every aspect of their life, every aspect of their life. And ultimately it comes back to this question, what are you a product of? Like, what are you a product of? Now, I'm not gonna lie, I feel a little bit better after your reaction from my last sermon illustration um, because I, I, I zhuzhed it up a little bit um, and I was embarrassed, but I'm gonna show it to you anyways. Um, so this is kind of like a dramatized version. <laughs> this is a dramatized version, right? So where the friendlet is, we have TikTok, we have Instagram on the arm. She's showing them Netflix, the next generation, because they need to know, right? Okay, and like, again, like, I'm not telling you, like, these are, like, 
from the devil or anything like that. But what I am saying is like, these are pretty common places that we receive information. Like most people I know at least have a Netflix account or their roommate's Netflix account. Um, and this is where generally like information comes from. It's a these are vehicles for information, right? Everything from news, politics, entertainment, health, dating, science, even biblical teaching we can find on these various platforms. And it's not all bad, like it's not. And we're gonna talk about that, like how do we handle all this information coming at us with wisdom and with agency? But we do need to consider the question, right? Like what are we a product of? Like what do you go to as frequently as the people of God went to the commands of God? And here are some easy tells. And these are, these are kind of the final things I want us to talk about. One, what are others learning from you? What are others learning from you? Especially the next generation. Like what, what, are you, what is so important to you that's outflowing from your life that others are passing or being passed along to others? And like, honestly, it's not even like, okay, what am I intentionally teaching to others? But even for myself, like if you went to my five closest friends, you would know what's important to me by asking like, what have you been learning from Sarah? Like, has she only been showing you pictures of baby sheep? Cause like not bad, but like also probably not super edifying. But seriously, and like, I know we have like our seasoned adults in the room and like, guys, like you are influencers for the next generation. Like what, what are others learning from you? Secondly, do you talk about the things of God and walk in his ways outside of this place, outside of the church? And I'm not here to like call out anyone, like the Holy Spirit convicts, so that's not me. Um, but truly, like, do we talk about the things of God? Do we talk about our love of God? Do we praise God outside of just places of worship? Are we willing to be bold and have conversations about the Lord as we're going on our way, as we're going to work, as we're traveling? Your next airplane ride, like pulling out the AirPods and actually talking to the person next to you. I know, it's, it's asking a lot. Um, but then thirdly, do the works of your hands glorify and serve God? Like what you put your hands to. And I'm, I'm not saying everyone needs to work in ministry or this is just when you serve on Sundays with our kids, but the things you put your hands to, do they glorify God? Does what you put in front of your eyes and in your mind produce the fruit of the spirit? We'll be talking a lot more about that. But does it produce the fruit of the spirit? The things that you're inputting, like it's not like I was a film minor. So like I've watched a lot of movies in my life, but I've after like a long time had to ask myself, like, is this producing like love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control in my life? Or is this producing fear, anxiety, lust, anger? like depression in my life. And I had to seriously start to filter what I was putting into my mind. And then lastly, can close friends, the people you invite into your home, you invite into your life, or even strangers identify your affection for God? Is there an aroma of Christ, as scripture says, on you? Can people meet you and say, you have something that's a little bit different about you? And it's not just like really ambiguous and you're like, I don't know what it is. But you're like, yeah, it's Jesus. <laughs> like When people are like, you just have a glow. There's like your aura. And you're like, no, that's actually the Holy Spirit. Like, can people, even strangers, maybe people who are far from God, tell that there's something different about your life because what's flowing out of you comes from the inputs of God and his word and time with his people and serving his church. You see all these things that Moses is talking about to the people of God, they're discernible, including obedience to God's ways. 
They're all an outflow of our mind's attention and our heart's affection. And we as a community want to give those things, our attention and our affection, back to God with ma'od, with our muchness, with everything that we are, because he is worthy of those things. He's worthy of those things. And we know that it's going to glorify him. And it's not only that, but it's going to bless us in the process and then those around us. We want people to know the goodness of God. We want it to just pour out of us. Now, every week, we'll be talking on a different subject, and we'll be releasing kind of like those bumper videos you just saw. We've interviewed different friends um, from our community, from the rest of the church to have more long-form conversations. And at the very end of the series, we're going to release five long-form videos. And it will really just take you a little more in-depth and kind of a dialogue around this. But for now, at the end of each week, we're going to release those bumper videos. So if you're like, there's something that really caught my attention, I kind of want to go revisit that. Or you're like, I saw AJ in the audience. I want to know what he said. Or I saw Kelly Bum. Um, go to, you can go to Calvary Westlake's YouTube um, and check it out. Hopefully it stirs some thoughts and carry those conversations into the rest of your week. Because we're excited about the content of these next five weeks. Because God is so worthy of it. He's so worthy of our attention and affection. And we're grateful that you guys are going to be a part of that. All right, let's pray, church. Lord God, thank you so much for tonight. God, I just thank you, God, that you really are worthy of our full selves. God, that you are worthy of our mayod, our muchness. Lord, that you are kind, that you are good. Lord, that you know when you command and ask us to do something, it is for our good and for your glory. And Lord, I just pray as a church, Lord, that we would say no to lesser things, God, and give you the sacrifice of our focus and to see how kingdom comes through that. But Jesus, we love you and we trust you. Would you lead us through this time? In your name we pray, amen.